1: Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, you need energy efficiency when you're hosting a podcast like the Nick Bob Podcast. But you also need energy efficiency if you want the most out of your windows and doors. And that's what Pella does for you. You look at their website. they got five different types of windows or doors from Pella that won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's like the Heisman Trophy Award for uh, for windows and doors. I love it, man. For more information on how Pella can make your home more comfortable and energy efficient, check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Runza. Did you know, you should know by now, but did you know that Runza has an app? They do. You got to go to the app store and download it like right now because you can order food on the app, have it ready to pick up in the restaurant. You can earn points for rewards. In fact, when you download the app, you can get five bucks off your first order in the app. It's arguably the best app of all time. So go download the Runza app, and the plan will be for you to get Runza, get rewards, and then you're gonna get more Runza, all on the app. Runza makes it all better. Okay, welcome back into the pod. Uh, got a got a really good podcast on deck for you today. Mitch Sherman of the Athletic stops by, uh, and man, we we deep dive Nebraska football. What, you know, just with camp underway, what what Mitch sees with the with this with this team, Martinez, the defense, the wide receivers, the running backs. I mean, we left no stone unturned in in this conversation when talking about Nebraska, as we're just about three and a half weeks away from toe meeting leather against Illinois. Um, And then we talk about uh, a a little conference realignment and what the Big Ten should or shouldn't do in the wake of this potentially seismic move of Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. So we, we hit on a bunch of different stuff. It was a really, really good conversation. Mitch Sherman was fantastic. So let's get to it. Here is my podcast chat with Mitch Sherman of The Athletic. Enjoy. All right. On the line now. Mitch Sherman of The Athletic, and we are taping this. It is, gosh, it is almost noon on uh, on Thursday, August 5th. Mitch, you were supposed to, I mean, July was supposed to be kind of like the slow time where you could kind of like, I don't know, go get a snow cone somewhere and like unplug. But, you know, you have the whole AD thing with Moose retiring, Trev being hired. Like, are you, are you are you recharged and ready to go because camp is underway and you're like, you're in the grind of it, man.
0: I am. I am recharged because I took the week after Big Ten Media Days. I mean I had to sacrifice something. Sure. It was either gonna be sacrificed like my sanity during the season when I was completely on empty, like at the end of September, or sacrifice like the first day or two of preseason camp where I just wasn't gonna be there. So as soon as I got back from Big Ten Media Days and that that uh Enlightening interview with Trev Alberts and listening to Scott Frost that Thursday in Indy. We took off, spent a week in San Diego with family, and totally just like unplugged. I missed the uh, the preseason um, camp press conference uh, a week ago today, um, but I was back in time for Monday morning practice at Memorial Stadium and hit the ground running and, and now uh, you know it's like full speed ahead for the next 6 months.
1: You know it's it's you're you're covering the team but you're also thinking about things in you know and what I do and then obviously what you do of like how to serve the fans. What do the fans want to know? What do the fans want to consume? Well I want mm-hmm. I want to stick with the fans for a second because I, I I I'm curious what your thoughts are with the feeling in the fan base because I was thinking about this just in like my everyday life and I don't mean mm-hmm. to start this thing off in like a negative way, but like I really can't remember, Mitch, the last positive conversation I had with someone about <laughs> Nebraska football on Frost. You know, you like, you know, you're just kind of shooting the breeze with somebody and Nebraska football gets brought up. I can't remember the last time that person took like a positive approach to it. And it's been a long I can't I mean, it's honestly in some ways, even going with Pellini and Riley and even parts of Callahan heading into the season, I feel like it, there always was shreds of positivity. I mean, I've even had fans tell me like, "Ah, you're being too easy on Frost. You're being too easy yeah. on Nebraska." Like, we're about 3 weeks away from the start of of the season. Where where is this fan base at mentally?
0: Yeah, they're they're tired. They're 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 uh they're very much in don't tell me mode. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me about it. Don't tell me that the, that you think the you know, the quarterback is is uh is on the upswing. Like, and and look, Nebraska's not been in a position Coming off three consecutive losing seasons, or even two consecutive losing seasons, where a coaching change wasn't made, it, since you, you got to go back to the the 50s or, or, or early 60s, you know, pre-Divani time to get. And, and I think that takes a lot out of the fans, especially a fan base like Nebraska that where, where they're entirely accustomed to not just winning, but but winning nine, ten, eleven games. I mean, people are still accustomed to that. I mean, unless you're 16 years old and you, you know, you, you've been a fan of this program since you were in middle school. Yeah. You, then you don't know what that's like, but everybody else um, you know, they, they still, they still want that. And everybody wants that. So um, it's like, I just had a conversation yesterday. um, Same kind of thing you're talking about. And I'm, I was kind of selling the Nebraska receivers and I'm writing about that right now like when we get done i'm gonna yep. go finish up this story about the, the nebraska receivers and i'm like i'm buying the nebraska receivers right now like i think and i know the production is not there from the past at nebraska i mean like sure samari ture has done it at the fcs level omar manning has done it at the juco level you know oliver martin has been a, um, a high level recruit but none of these guys have really done it at nebraska I think that, I think there's going to be a dramatic change in the production and like just the way the Nebraska receivers play this year. And I was talking to somebody yesterday after practice and, and like kind of promoting that point. And it's, and and it's just, you can see it on people's face. It's like, nah, I'll, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I'll, I'll believe it when they do it on August 28th or when they do it, when they do it against Oklahoma or Ohio state, then I'll be ready to, uh to buy back in people are just, they're, they're apprehensive. You know, they're afraid, I think at this point to, to really invest in Nebraska emotionally because they've been hurt so much over the last few years. It's a unique time and, and probably one that, you know, it just hasn't happened in, in many decades for right, Nebraska. Fans. Right. It, it's
1: I guess, Mitch, how much would you push back on this? Like if I sat down with you and I'm just like, I, I throw this at you and, and, and kind of, talking about the Frost era so far. I say, listen, man, year one, it was year one. Uh, it, there was a lot to rebuild. It was – it's year one. Year two was, I call it the too much, too soon year. Like, too much hype for a team that probably didn't deserve it. Too much hype from Martinez being in the Heisman conversation. Game day came too soon, too big of a moment. They get kind of – it snowballs against them negatively. And then year three is a pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. I, I – is there anything in that that you roll your eyes at and go, come on, man, stop, stop me. I'm not saying that necessarily like, I think there are parts of what I just said. I believe. I also think there are parts of it. I go, I roll my eyes at it, but like, I don't know. I, I also think everything I said in there was fair, right? Like how, how would, were you rolling your eyes when, when I was saying that?
0: Yeah, I kind of was. I mean, I think at some point when you're three years in, you find a way okay. if um, you know, if everything's going, uh, if, if you're doing, if you're, if you're performing your job, up to your capabilities and, and your standards like you're going to find a way because all of these other teams at least in the case of last year all of these other teams are going through the same thing like nebraska wasn't in a pandemic while 120 other teams were living a normal a normal summer fall um cycle it was it was that way for everybody so it's not an excuse for nebraska to say well we went three and five because uh, you know we were dealing with with all the 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 bs of a, of a pandemic mm-hmm. no i mean like so did indiana And look, they, you know, that's a newer coaching staff too. And they found a way to get it done. Like you make your own breaks in, in this, in this world, a lot of times with, with college sports. So um, I, I understand the reasoning and I, and I, I get it. And I don't necessarily disagree with like any of those one individual things you said as a reason for why Nebraska um, had this obstacle in front of them in 18, 19 or 20, but like, what's it going to be in 21? What's it going to be in 22 at some point you know, you can, you can always find a reason why it didn't work out the way that you want, but that's never going to satisfy the the masses. You, right. you, you have to actually fight your way through it and find a way to have success. And that's the challenge in front of the team this year. There will be obstacles. There will be a reason if Nebraska fails in 21, why it failed. And there will be people who will say, well, you know, got to give them more time. Got to, you know, they had, they had this going against them. They had this injury happen. It's like, all right, well, Hey, it happens to everybody in the, in the, uh, the resilient, strong teams—they, you know, Nebraska had those those kind of uh, obstacles in the in their great years too, and they found a way to get past it.
1: it Mitch, if I—it's it, obviously—it's never just one thing why why it hasn't worked for the first three years here. But if I had to pin you down and say, Mitch, you have to pick one thing. Mm. What is it like? If, if, if I'm asking you, Mitch Sherman, you're immersed in this. Mm-hmm. Why why is Nebraska twelve and twenty through three years under Frost? if you had to pick one thing, what is the one thing that hasn't happened?
0: Uh, the lack of uh, the lack uh, Nebraska underestimated the big ten, I think. and it was it was un- it was unavoidable or it was very difficult to avoid um, when you had a situation with the coaching staff that had not coached in the big Ten. Um, and hindsight's 2020, And, you know, and I don't look at any one coach necessarily in particular, Frost or any of his assistants and say, man, this guy dropped the ball. Um, but they needed to have a better understanding of how to make that transition to the Big Ten. Like they needed to recognize that I'll just use the receivers because they're on my mind right yep. now. Um, They need to be bigger. Like, you you know, and and I heard Sean Becton bring this up yesterday, tight ends coach said, you know, what we did with our throw and catch system works in the American conference, what we did in Nebraska in 2018 and 2019, it would have worked in the American conference, it didn't work in the Big Ten to have smaller, faster receivers at those outside positions. We had to get bigger. It was a priority for us as a staff to find a way to get bigger. And, you know, that, yeah, right there, that's that's valid. And I think that that there are examples of that across the roster where Nebraska wasn't quite sure exactly the formula that was needed to have success against Big Ten teams, in particular those Big Ten west teams that are strong and physical and even if they did know even if frost did come in with a great understanding of all that it was going to take you know it wasn't like those players would just magically appear but i think they would have had a better sense right out of the gate who they needed to recruit and what they needed to focus on in development and the guys that they should prioritize and getting on the field first um and you know they 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 there were some errors in judgment there i would say that have cost nebraska some games it's not in any way, like a catch all. Like that doesn't even begin to, that doesn't even begin to, um, you know, bring into play like their issues on special teams or with turnovers or in the red zone. But I think that's one thing that, that, uh, you know, can be somewhat all encompassing is just the, um, you know, the experience or the lack of it that anyone on this coaching staff had in making that adjustment to the Big Ten.
1: Okay. So, cause that's interesting. Cause one of the things I wrote down was, do you expect everything to look and operate the same this year. Like, do you think the offense is gonna look a little different or is it gonna be the kind of the same, just bigger bodies?
0: Well, it's gonna look different because of those big bodies. Okay. I mean, instead of Wandale Robinson being your go to guy at receiver, and Wandale was was invaluable for Nebraska over the last two years, but having a five foot nine guy as your primary pass catching target after I mean even Stanley Morgan in eighteen, not a big guy played bigger than his size for sure but there's a reason he didn't get drafted and you know i'd say that's probably because he was what six foot tall when you measured him at the combine he played like a guy who was six two or six three wow, but yeah um they didn't have size even going back to 18 at receiver so yeah i think the offense will look different this year because they've got big players from tight end to the offensive line um, to the receivers, you know, even some of those running backs are, going you know, are, are bigger. You know, obviously, you know, Jacquez Yant is a big guy. I don't think he's going to be the workhorse for this team. I think he'll be a, he'll be a change of pace guy. They probably won't look a ton bigger, you know, on like the, the first series of the year at running back, but they will at receiver and they will at tight end because, you know, Travis Focalex more of a, more of a factor in this thing. And even their backups are bigger. Their offensive linemen are bigger. Defensively. You know, it's not so much the size of the players as it is the the, the versatility that they have now because of all of the experience. Uh, for instance, listening to Eric Janander on Monday talk about how Nebraska, with its its experienced front, has the luxury of being able to take those players who are the, in the front line at, the, at that position and run out run out a, a three man. Defensive line in their base defense or quick shift into a four or even go with a five man front and not sacrifice experience and not have to bring an outside linebacker down and put his hand in in the line of scrimmage. You know, that's going to create problems for an offense. Um, And, and, you know, I think from from that standpoint, Nebraska will look different up front defensively. I, I don't I don't think in the back seven it's going to look a whole lot different but the players are older and, and more experienced and there's a lot of leadership um in that group that should that should help them play better and and you would think, you would hope that the number one thing is 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 just create more havoc and 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 create turnovers because they've they've continued to struggle even through last year in that area
1: yeah this uh mitch's illinois game um you know uh, I've jokingly called it, it's Nebraska Super Bowl, but I, even when, sometimes when I say it, I kind of like, I feel stupid a little when I say it. Um, but I don't know if it does feel big. Like, do you buy into the narrative that this Illinois game is massive for the trajectory of the season and in some mm-hmm. ways the trajectory of like the next year or two?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, can, I can't, can you think of a, of an opener that had this kind of weight? No. That had this kind of significance? I, I mean, Obviously, if you you, know, you go back to some great teams at Nebraska and say, OK, well, if, if they had lost that opener, it would have it would have wrecked the season. I mean, like, OK, in 1995, Nebraska opened with a conference opponent at Oklahoma State. And I don't think anyone thought Nebraska was going to lose that game. And it won it by, you know, 40 points. Um, if the if the earth had been aligned differently that day and, and Oklahoma State wins. Yeah. I mean, 95 is not 95, but that's you know, a completely different situation because Nebraska goes into this one um, as a favorite, but I don't think that anybody expects it to be a cakewalk. Um, there there hasn't been a game like that, a conference right. game, you know, in this case, a divisional game to open the season. You know what's coming up in week three in the fourth game of the year. You know that that's going to be a, a, a big struggle and you don't want to put yourself into a position Going to Norman, Oklahoma, where you, you have to win that game to, to you know to avoid being two and two at the end of the month. Um, it's yeah, it's huge. It's it's it puts you on the right foot or the wrong foot in the Big Ten West race. I mean Nebraska can't lose to Illinois and then expect to climb back into the divisional race in in November when it plays Iowa and Wisconsin. How deflating is it to essentially? Yeah, I mean this is maybe. Hyperbole, but to be out of contention for the Big Ten West on August 28th—that's I mean, That's terrible. Yeah, yeah you can't—you can't have that. Not in year four. I mean, if it was year one, okay. But there's not been a I, so yeah, there's not been a more important, bigger um, opener that I can recall in watching this program over the last 30 plus. Years. I like it.
1: I'm back on the, it's the Super Bowl train. I'm back on it. You, you talked me back into it. I'm, it's huge. I'm ready to, I'm ready to, uh, I'm ready to call it the biggest game of all time. The Dick Bob podcast is brought to you by Pella windows and doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Let's talk about Martinez for a second. Um... He's been getting a lot of love. You wrote about it today in, in the Athletic. Uh, you know that that he's gotten a lot of love, a lot of praise from yeah. from his his teammates, the coaches. Uh, it's weird, Mitch. Some will point to Martinez as a reason for optimism this year, mm-hmm. and some will point to him as a reason to not be optimistic. Where mm-hmm. are you at with him?
0: I'm cautiously optimistic. Okay. I mean, I I see him, and he does look different. I watched him in the spring game and I, you know, I I think it was like a, it was a mixed bag Um, and he wasn't super sharp that day. Um, You know, but also he, he he was, he was limited in what they were allowing him to do. I mean, if you can't tackle the quarterback, yeah. I mean that he's got a little more freedom to be be able to not worry about getting, getting smashed. Um, But at the same time, I mean, you know, he's not going to be able to get loose and, and juke a defensive end because the guy gets one hand on him and he's down. The spring game was, Sorry, I'm just I'm just not putting a lot of stock into anything that I right, saw there. I think right. some people watch the spring game. They're like, well, uh, this doesn't look any different. You know, Adrian's <laughs> kind of looks the <laughs> right. same to me. And uh, yeah. I mean, look, there were 14 other practices in the spring, and and I, I think that's a. And I didn't see all of those, or or many of them, like one. But but uh, there's there's a there's um the, don't don't put too much into what you saw uh on on the spring game. I I. I I do put stock into what like these teammates are saying about Adrian and the way that he worked over the summer. and I've had I've had Nebraska players that I've talked to over the past month who have brought him up and guys on the defensive side even who have brought him up and the work that he's done and the admiration that they have for him when I did not ask a question about about Martinez. It's just like, hey, I want to tell you about what this guy's doing right now and why I think this year, is going to be different for him. So I, I think he's in position to have his best year at Nebraska, um, and I think he's got weapons at the receiver and the tight end spot for sure, who can help him do that. I, I I am I am not convinced of that yet at the running back spot. So that's a big caveat because they've got to get production from the running back spot uh, for him to him to be the best Adrian right. that he can be.
1: It is interesting though when you kind of just go down the, the tail of the tape with Adrian, he checks a lot of boxes, Mitch. Like you're like, okay, hey, intangibles, personality. Seems like check, uh arm strength. Like he he throws a pretty ball. Check, uh, mobility. He's he's pretty mobile. I mean, mm-hmm. is it just like that that special intangible it thing of decision making that that is yeah. lacking? Is that is it is that just the only thing that's just the big the big void?
0: ball security, decision making. Um those are probably at the top of my list in things that he needs to improve on and he knows that. I mean every time he's talked here you know since the the end of last season it's been can't, can't have turnovers. Got to cut those those turnovers. And 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 that that plays into decision making right there. I mean that's that's those things go go together. The 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 ball security and and making better decisions, but decision making I think goes beyond that too. And it's, it's about, um, you know, not forcing a throw. Um, it's about, uh, you know, clock management. It's about, um, you know, looking off a a receiver, trying to, trying to do too much, um, with the play. So these end up being like pretty significant factors. I mean, as you said, Nick, he does check a lot of boxes, but the ones where he's the the boxes that he's, he's struggled to put that check Mark into, they're they're they loom large. They when, do. when your team is like, you know, in in a, in a lot of toss up situations. Right. I mean, Nebraska has found itself in throughout Adrian's career, and I don't see this being any different in 2021. In so many games that just hinge on one play here or one play there, and that's where those those things that we're talking about the decision making and the ball security just looms so, so large. If he had been the quarterback at Nebraska in a different era with the same talent that he has and the same intangibles, I mean, yeah, he could have been a guy who was ultra successful with his wins and losses and his stats would look great, but that's not the situation he came to Lincoln in. He's, it's, there's a very small margin for error, and, you know, he he um, has struggled in some of those areas to be able to put Nebraska over the top.
1: It's, it's funny, Mitch, when – when you kind of think about a team heading into the season, whether, you know, in July and August, you know, sometimes teams have more questions than answers or have more answers than questions. It's weird. I think Nebraska has more answers than questions from Mm -hmm. a personnel Mm -hmm. standpoint. That doesn't necessarily mean I think all the answers mean they're great players. But one of the big looming questions that is unanswered is the running back spot? I'm like, who's going to be the guy? Who, Frost has said he wants to be a he, he wants to find kind of a, a workhorse there. Is that person going to be any good? How do you size up the running backs? You you said you're you're going to write about the wide receivers that you're kind of buying into them. What about mm-hmm. the running backs, man?
0: Not buying it. Not buying in yet. Yeah. Not buying in. Um, and, and probably won't at any point until that first game and Illinois is stout up front mm-hmm. They're that's they're in the trenches. I mean, pe- I think people are going to look at Illinois and go, okay, they won two games last year. Um, you know, got a, got a new coach. I've had a lot of uh, a lot of attrition from the program. You know, maybe there's a, a way for Nebraska to just like assert its physical dominance and win the game that way. And I, I don't know that that's the key for Nebraska to win the game. I, I think, I think it, Illinois is going to be all that Nebraska wants to handle in the trenches and Nebraska can win that game. Over the top, you know, creating turnovers on the defensive side, making big plays on the offensive side, and kind of hope for, you know, like like a push or a slight win at the lines of scrimmage. If Nebraska, you know, has a, a, a 150 or 200 yard rushing advantage in this game, I'd be really surprised, just because of how mature and and physical Illinois is at the line of scrimmage. So I say that because I don't necessarily know if even game one week zero is going to tell me all I want to know about the running backs. I'll probably withhold judgment until I've seen those guys in the rotation that they settle into after like two or three games, or maybe even like going, coming out of the OU game. That's, that's when I think we'll have a really good handle on just what Nebraska has at the running back spot. I, you know, I'm optimistic about Marquis step after the comments that Matt Lubick made on Wednesday this week that he is now a hundred percent and they're putting the pads on or they did. They put the pads on this morning on Thursday and Marquise was not going to be on a pitch count as, as Frost said in Indy last month, he's ready to go. I think if he's healthy and he has a good camp, like the camp that he's, that he's capable of having, and he gets the first carry against right. Illinois, okay. you know, I thought that going into the spring and then I, I, I took it back because of the injury and the concerns about where he would be in August so if he's healthy and he stays healthy through camp, then I, I think he's because of his experience right. um, and his talent that he's the guy who gets the first carry. I don't think they're going to want to throw that on Gabe Urban, who may ultimately end up being the, you know, the future uh, of the running back position for Nebraska. But I don't, I think you want to ease him in a little bit, especially against an Illinois team that I said, it's going to, that's going to be physical and, you know, get, get, get Marquise 12 to 15 carries, um, You know, Marvin Scott, I think, is going to work his way into that top three and and then, and then probably Irvin too. And, and, uh, you know, maybe those guys get eight to 10 carries apiece. And and that would be, that's kind of how I see it right now. I mean, there's three weeks left. It could all, it could all change. But if I had to handicap the thing on, on August 5th, I'm saying, I'm saying Step, Scott, and Irvin as the top three. Okay.
1: Uh, Mitch, I was, I was trying to think of a way to talk to you or ask you about the defense. And I arrived at this. Um, On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like, let's say, the 2009 defense and 1 being like the 2007 defense in the final four or five games of the season or the 2017 defense the Mm -hmm. final couple games of the season when Riley was a dead man walking, where would you rank your confidence level in this defense – in terms of kind of how confident are you in this defense to be good enough to win every weekend and even maybe even lead them to a win every Saturday? Mm-hmm. Where,
0: where would you where would you put it? Well, I mean, some of that depends on how they coach the team. Um, in 2010, Nebraska had no issue at all coaching the team to allow the defense to win games right. and allow the special teams to, to play a huge role. And that has not been Frost's M.O. You can go back to UCF. You can – look at, at the way that the Oregon teams that he was a part of were coached and they designed their game plans to win with their offense. And if that's the way it was, it continued to be that way last year. And, and if, if that hasn't changed at all and, and, and they're not going you know, to capitalize, try to capitalize on the experience uh, with the, a, with a, a bit of a, of an altered game plan, then I probably put the defensive, you know, the confidence meter at like a five with this, with this group. But if they make even some subtle shifts, just, you know, taking some risks out of the offense, um, play it a little more conservative, you know, you don't need to be Iowa and Wisconsin and, and be, you know, all in on, on winning with your defense. I don't, I don't think that's ever going to be a Scott Frost coach team, but the experience, the discrepancy in experience and depth, um, between the offensive and the defensive side is just so striking this year that if they give the defense an opportunity to go out and win games for Nebraska, I think those guys can do it. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and then I'd be, be more likely to put it at like, you know, a seven, seven and a half on yeah. a scale of one to ten.
1: God, that's a great answer. I, I love that answer because I think, I, I, I think we don't quite understand just how behind the eight ball the offense and its production and approach and then the special teams and field position – Put this defense in last year. Like again, I'm not saying that this is Sue and Crick and Dennard and Prince and all that stuff out there, but I do think this defense is is quite a bit better or could be better than we even saw last year. But I think a lot of it hinges on the approach. Like, I, so that's what that's another layer to this that that's going to be really interesting. Damon has talked about it on the radio. It's like can can ne- Nebraska and Frost adjust how they do things to allow for their defense to kind of lead the way without completely sacrificing what they ultimately want this program to be. That's a really, really interesting predicament for Frost to be in.
0: Yeah, I mean, people don't want to see him go conservative. No. And, you know, he's, he's been criticized over these first three years at times for not taking risks on offense or taking a risk at the wrong time on the offensive side. I mean, I'm thinking about, like, the end of the Iowa game in, in – um, In year, um, let's see, that was the it was year two with 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 McCaffrey coming in and and Martinez, you know, not running out of bounds. Right. Um, I mean, you know, some clock mismanagement, some risks that were taken at the wrong time, some some times where you should have taken a risk and you didn't. And he's taking heat for that. Frost took heat for that um, in 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 nineteen after that game. Um, And you think, all right, but it's a fine line to walk. You know, and, and now it's an even more fine line. To walk with this team because there are going to be instances where he might normally want to take that risk and it's going to be his nature to uh to do it um to go for a fourth down when really what he should do because of the strength of the team being the defense especially early in the year is to um you know, to, to be a little more conservative and let the defense go out and get a three and out and get you the ball back. So it's not really in his, in his nature. I mean, like, like this is is like a, uh, a team that, that, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz could probably coach pretty well, but (laughs) you know, Nebraska's got, got frost and, and he's going to have to find a way to, uh, to make it fit his, his coaching style. So that's a, that'll be just such an interesting dynamic to watch. As, uh, As I said, especially early in the year when, I mean, no matter no matter if the the receivers and the running backs and Adrian um, exceed expectations uh, in in 2021, there's still going to be a learning curve for those guys. Even in a best case scenario, there's a there's a learning curve for those guys in the first three or four games of the year where they're all getting used to playing with each other. And um, they're not going to be a well-oiled machine uh, right out of the gate.
1: The Nick Bob podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Everybody that knows my athletic background, you know, as a quarterback in high school. But, you know, I believe in establishing the run game. And even more than that, I believe in establishing the Runza game. That's an original Runza cheeseburger, some onion rings, double dipped in a homemade batter, Little bit of a pop to top it off. You know, in football, you establish a run. But at lunch, you establish the runza. It's just that simple. So get out to runza today and establish the runza game or check out the delicious salads. You got the chicken, bacon, ranch salad, sweet berry chicken salad, and my personal favorite, the Southwest chicken salad. You got to get out to runza, establish a runza game, or get a salad. Either way, you are going to leave satisfied. Runza makes it all better. Mitch, I want to transition to talk a little big picture college football stuff. Then I got a rapid fire uh, some questions to throw at you and we'll get you out of here. The, the, I mean, obviously, it's just been bananas for the past two weeks with with realignment starting back up with how fast this Oklahoma and Texas thing has, has moved in terms of them heading to the SEC. I think it's bad for college football. How do you see it?
0: Um, I haven't looked at it as like a bad or a good at this point. I want to see where it all shakes out. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we end up with like a couple of super conferences, you know, like premier league champions league kind of stuff, uh, co- face of college footballs forever changed. Yeah, this is, the, this is like the first domino falling in, in, a, an avalanche over the next five to six years. Um, I don't think that's good for the sport. Um, But I don't know for sure that's where we're going. I know that we're going to be in a place or I I feel confident in in believing that we're going to be in a place, say, in 2025, 2026, where the landscape looks a lot different than what it does today. And that means a different postseason, different conference affiliations, different uh, arrangements between conferences, um, a bowl scenario for the majority of teams that doesn't resemble what we're used to. And I think that can be good. It's just, it, it just depends on, on how it all looks and how many teams it incorporates. Like if you've basically got 30 teams, 32 teams, and and that, that's the only thing that's playing, that those are the only teams that are playing for a national championship. And I know you, you kind of have that right now, sure. um, at least in, in theory, but, if but, but if it's, if it, if it's, that's truly, you know, written down in stone and you're Nebraska or Iowa state and you start the season without having any chance to win the big prize, then yeah, that's, that's, that's bad for the sport. I mean, you know, this is not college football. I don't think can work as like the junior NFL. It has to incorporate, it has to be a national game that incorporates programs from all corners of of the country. And if they can find a way and I don't know who they is because there's not like a unified uh, governing. And the NCAA is 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 hapless in this in this quest. Um, you know, is it the conference commissioners? I don't know. But if 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 there's a group that if, if college football at large can find a way to evolve and and yet still include uh, you know 70, 80, 90 programs in its major division then i think it can ultimately end up being good for the sport
1: what do you think the big 10 should do i mean we've already seen some the pac 12 and the big 12 yeah. had, a, had a meeting a couple of days ago just kind of preliminary stuff going over potential mergers or scheduling partnership or whatever i mean act like i was in the meeting and no but what what do you what, what do you think the big 10 should do
0: right shout out to uh my boy uh, max Olson yeah. at the athletic for uh, breaking the story on the uh Pac 12 Big 12 meeting this week and you know I think that's that's again you know use this phrase tip of the iceberg that's that's just the beginning of these kind of conversations i mean the Big 10 is going to be engaged in conversations like that the ACC is going to be engaged in conversations like that if they're not they're missing the boat you 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 have to be proactive and and that's that's what i envision for the Big 10 or you know hope for the for the for the security of the Big Ten is that it is proactive and the Big Ten can't fall back on this kind of age-old Big Ten logic that we're the Big Ten and you know everybody's going to be loyal to each other and we've got the Rose Bowl and you know we've got our hundred plus year history so whatever happens around us is is inconsequential and you know we're all we're going to be here forever that's just you can't have that attitude and the Big Ten is in like such a hard spot with a a, a, an inexperienced commissioner I mean if Jim Delaney had had only known what was going to be on the horizon I mean maybe he would have ran for the for the you know for the hills (laughs) but I you know no knowing Delaney and like just how how instrumental he's been in shaping not just football but but basketball and all of college sports over the last few decades you know i, I think he would have embraced this time to lead the big 10 through what we had last year and, and into this year and then now what's upcoming i mean if he could have extended his his tenure for a few more years you know i'd feel a lot more confident about the big 10 and its ability to to, to you know to end in the right place when like the chairs stop turning right Right now, I'm not so sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Warren, I, he's just not as savvy um, in this kind of stuff as Greg Sankey or, um, or certainly what what Delaney would have been. So they have to be proactive. They have to initiate conversations. They have to talk about things like expansion and you know finding the right fit to and and, and they have to take care of their members. Like the Big Ten can't just assume that because Ohio State has been this flagship institution in the league for a century or or whatever, that everything's going to be good for the next five years. Like the big 10 needs to have conversations with, with Gene Smith, the AD at Ohio state and say, Hey, is everything good? Like, is our relationship good? Because we don't want to wake up one day like Bob Bowlesby did in the big 10, big 12 and find out that you and Michigan or you and Penn state are bolting off to the, you know, to, to the SEC. I mean, like right. it sounds crazy to think that something like that could happen, but it's a lot, it sounds a lot less crazy after the news of, of two weeks ago.
1: Totally agree. I, I think it's a balance. You don't want to just, you don't want to overreact, but I also don't think, I don't know, patience is a virtue, but at the same time, there's a fine line in between patience and just standing on the sidelines here. And I don't know where yeah. that balance really is. And I don't know. There's also this weird thing I've been thinking about of like, You know, everybody talks about, well, you don't want to add teams. And then all of a sudden you cut up that revenue pie and you're getting less. And I'm like, yeah, I I agree. But I also think sometimes you need to
0: maybe take less to ensure that you are here for the long term, too. Right. Right. Yeah. I've said the same thought and said the same thing. Like if the Big Ten were to add, like, let's just say, for example, um, six more teams. Like four from the Pac-12, and then a couple from the Big Twelve. Big Twelve, and you have a 20-team league. And when you when you divide it all up, everybody's getting the same amount of money, or maybe a little bit less money. Like that's a win okay. because you've you've raised your profile nationally as a, as a superpower. You've you've ensured that nobody else is going to absorb you as a league and take your members away so even if like i mean the money's important the money's huge and the money's what's driving all of this but if you're making 53 million (laughs) as your as your tv share instead of 55 million because the league went from 14 to 20 great because you're more stable and more more secure as a 20 team league
1: couldn't agree more i i I absolutely couldn't agree more uh last thing before you get some rapid fire stuff this uh, this Ohio State quarterback recruit, the uh, Quinn mm. Ewers, is that how you say his last name? Ewers, 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 I believe. Not, I'm not sure how, but you know, so he, so he is skipping his senior year of high school, enrolling early to to capitalize on his NIL at Ohio State, and th- this is kind of, I'm not anti NIL, I'm really not, but I, the devil is in the details on what this ultimately looks like because i've my concern all along was this is ultimately going to seep into recruiting and i've talked about this on my podcast like one of the things like fundamentally a lot of different sports leagues operate these teams operate from the same general set of guidelines and parameters of how they're building a roster and acquiring players if there's no guidelines on this nil stuff College football and college basketball is gonna is gonna be crazy in that regard. Where how Ohio State builds its roster compared to how Michigan State does is completely different. And I get someone say, "Well, Nick, it's completely different right now." It's like, yeah, but at least for the most part, they have the same set of tools in the toolbox at the at the starting point. I I, I mean, how do you see nil? Playing out as it seeps into recruiting, and am I need to do I need to take a chill pill on on pressing the panic button?
0: Well, you can panic. Um, it's gonna it's gonna change the game. It already has. It already is changing the game. I mean, this Quinn Ewers thing wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for NIL. Obviously, he'd be he'd be getting into his senior year of high school, and Ohio State would you know have a different complexion to its quarterback competition here as it starts camp uh, in these next couple of days, everything's, everything's out of whack. Um, you know, in, 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 in many different ways, I, um, you know, there's going to have to be some regulations. I don't have any, any like confidence in the NCAA right now to lay down those regulations. Um, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in the federal government to lay down those regulations. So I don't know where it's going to come from. If there's going to have to be a new governing body created, if the NCAA is going to blow itself up this, uh, you know, th- this fall when it when it has its its uh constitutional convention, it sounds like uh they're 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 uh, you know going to Philadelphia in seventeen seventy. So it's a scene from
1: Hamilton. It's going to be in <laughs> yeah. the new Hamilton in right. about twenty five right. years. Yeah.
0: Uh, it, I mean, it's all it's all a mess. And I mean, your point about seeping into recruiting, I'd say it's gonna like it's gonna flood recruiting. Yes. There's no there's no seep. Right. It's like <laughs> that's where that's where the money is going to be directed. I mean, yes, you can get your degree deodorant um, endorsements (laughs) for your bigger name players at a mid-level institution like Nebraska. You can get your smaller endorsement deals or your opportunities to have a youth camp like JoJo Doman and Ben Stilley did last month. But, like, the the real money in this is going to the recruits. And, you know, you can say – that they're not boosters, aren't paying recruits to come to your school, but that's what they're going to be doing. So, Hey, I mean, we've got to this point and now coaches are going to have to deal with it. I mean, you've already seen Ed Ogeron go in front of a group of boosters and say, pay our players. You know, we want you to do it. It's legal. Now you're, have your people come see my people. We'll let you know what's against the rules and what's not. But the bottom line is you can give them money you can give players money. You can give recruits money and you can give them more money. Uh, so um i i don't i mean it's it's just we'll have to see it's it's uh it's gonna make the rich richer and and the poor poorer and separate the separate the divide even more than i mean the college football playoff has done that so this is this is this has the ability this has the potential to do it you know 10 times more
1: all right six rapid fire questions and you're gonna go right about your wide receivers okay i'll let you go uh More likely Nebraska wins seven or more games this year or five or less? Like, more likely they go seven and five or better or five and seven or worse?
0: Well, I'll say seven um, just because I'm, I'm giving them a, I'm giving them a win against Illinois. I like it. And, and if they win against Illinois, I'm giving them seven.
1: Player you are most excited to watch for Nebraska this year is who? Samari Toure. Tougher game on the schedule, Iowa at home or Michigan at
0: home? Iowa at home.
1: Rank the top three Nebraska quarterbacks of all time in order. Give it to me.
0: Tommy Frazier, number one. Um, Turner Gill, number two. I will say – boy, I will say – well, see the criteria here. I don't know if it's winning or talent. Um, I'm going to go Steve Taylor, number Ooh. three. Because I think he had great talent. I like, think yeah, I mean Jerry Taggy one more games, you know. I mean Taylor Martinez had great talent, but no Crouch, I, Steve
1: no, no Eric Crouch.
0: Ooh, ooh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to put Crouch in there. Sorry, sorry. <laughs>
1: sorry, <laughs> Steve Taylor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry, Eric. <laughs> yeah, <Steve> Taylor. <laughs> <Steve> <laughs> Tommy Taylor line two. Turner, Eric Crouch. Got Eric it. Crouch number three.
1: Uh, this isn't like a, a one word answer, but I'm just curious, real quick, what how will you remember Frank Solich's career at Nebraska?
0: Um, well, um, I will remember it as <sighs> overall a boy, it's tough. It's tough. 20 years later, Nick, mm-hmm. to even come up with the words to words to, to, to a small group of words to describe it. it look, it, in the end, it was not a success. So I, I, I will say that it it, it, it was disappointing on a, on a number of different levels. It was disappointing with the way that things were run around Frank. And it was disappointing with some of the decisions that were made in the program. Um, ultimately the, the ended in a way that set Nebraska into a, into a spiral for, for many, many years. And, and, you know, you could argue that it continues today. So that can't be viewed in a, in a positive way. Um, I mean, Frank himself did some good things as yeah. a coach, and yeah. he <laughs> he won a lot of games. But um, over the overarching theme of his years at Nebraska are are disappointment because of of, of of how it ended and what it led to. Last question:
1: Should the Kansas City Royals have sent Alex Gordon home instead of holding him at third in Game Seven of the 2014 World Series against the Giants?
0: Um. Mm, thought this one through a lot. I. I, <laughs> I bet I, you have. That's why I asked. I, yeah. I. I <laughs> well, since they did not win. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, they should have sent him. I'm going to say they should have sent him because yeah. at least that would have given them a chance, even right. if it's a small chance. So, um, knowing what I knew at the time that he was approaching third base, I would have said hold him. But now, in in, in hindsight, 100, percent absolutely send him. Is the only chance you had to win. Right.
1: I mean, because uh, I. I can't remember who followed him in the order, but like, did you have a, ch- I mean, Bumgardner was unhittable, you know, like, did you have a better chance of someone making an errant throw home or hitting Bumgardner? It's like probably
0: the I errant be- throw, I guess, right? I believe, and I could be wrong on this, but I, I, I think Salvador Perez was up and yes. grounded out Oof. to make the final out there, um, yeah. Yeah yeah so he had absolutely. the right guy up I mean at least the right guy yeah, now yeah uh but but uh I mean right like you said one hit off Baumgartner in that inning was a victory <laughs> yeah. thinking about getting two hits off of him in- uh impossible. yeah good good luck yeah so they should have sent him
1: easy Mitch Sherman uh covers Nebraska for the athletic follow him on Twitter at Mitch Sherman get a subscription to the athletic it's awesome sco- awesome coverage Mitch uh great catching up with you man we'll catch up when the season gets rolling okay bud
0: yeah, good to talk to you. And uh, and my apologies to the only Heisman winner winning quarterback at Nebraska for omitting him from my list. He's definitely there, maybe even at number two. But I'm I'm going to keep Turner in that spot. It's
1: okay. We gave Steve Taylor some love. Like it's uh, we just wanted to give him a little love. But we're going to put Crouch yeah. in 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 the top three. Okay, it's fine. Right, it's right. fine.
0: I All right. It. Thanks, Nick.
1: Thanks, Mitch.